let's begin to do this if we can. Today's topic is called the, the Bema Seat of Christ, okay? Bema is a Greek word. Uh, it, it's in reference to the judgment seat of Christ, okay? Where does this fall in the signs of times? Where does this fall in the line? Remember, the last couple of weeks have just been really what I would consider a big outline of really where, where we're headed. So let's do that if we can. Let's begin to go through uh, just this uh, simplicity of of our text here. And so I'm going to just kind of, I'm not going to teach on this, but remember in 24, lesson 25 and lesson 26, we just began to go to what, what we would call the, you know, the signs of the times. And again, remember, we also talked about the birth pains and in the birth pains, you have what are called warnings. Now remember Matthew 25, we believe correlates with the seals. Okay. So in the birth pains, you have what's called warnings. In those warnings, you're looking for like the false messiahs. You're looking for wars, rumors of wars, all these things. Again, you're also going to look for a peace treaty. The Antichrist could be here today. The Antichrist could be alive today. He could be a junior high kid right now. He could be in high school. He could be in college. He could be a 40-year-old. He could be a 50-year-old. He could be a 60-year-old. We, we don't know. But he could be alive as these signs keep looking forward. We're not going to make any predictions of who they are, by the way. Uh, but in that process, remember, he's going to come out of nowhere and initiate, at least with 10 nations. Israel's going to be a part of this. Think about this, okay? And, and this is going to launch what we would call the tribulation, which remember, it's going to be seven years. When you think tribulation, when you think peace treaty, you have to already think third temple. The third temple has to be in this process. Why? Because one of the signs is that you're going to see halfway through the tribulation is going to be the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist stands in the temple that's not existent today, and he's going to declare that he is God. What I think is starting to happen already with this crew and those that are watching online, I actually think you're already starting to get this down in your head. Like it's just starting to float. That's our goal is that you would begin. So repetition is huge. If I'm teaching my kids, you got, I don't know if you guys know this. I have a makeup character named Sammy and Sammy, it's not Jimmy Rich, it's Sammy. And usually every night or every other night at, at night, I lay down in bed with my little boy, Jude, and I tell him a story about Sammy and how Sammy was involved with a, a Bible story. So like, by the way, Sammy, if you didn't know this, he owned a hardware store. He sold Noah all the lumber yard, all the lumber. Did you know that? Like you have to have these kind of characters, characters. So one other time, you know, you get into all these stories, you know, by the way, somebody has to sell the water and, and the wine and all those aspects. Sammy's a part of that, right? So here's why I'm bringing this up is repetition is huge. Make this in such a way that you begin to understand the text. So you have birthing pains, peace treaty, tribulation, abomination, desolation. These are real. Sammy is not, by the way. Uh, so don't go looking for an ace hardware in Genesis. He's not there. Uh, but halfway through, the Antichrist is going to stand up and say, hey, by the way, now in this, that's going to launch, Kevin, what's the three and a half, the last three and a half years, what is it called? The Great Tribulation. And at the same time, besides the Great Tribulation, at some point in Matthew 24, remember, this all comes out of Matthew 24, right? At some point, you're going to see the gospel is proclaimed to all the nations, Okay, that has not happened. That's also known as people groups, ethnic groups, okay? So these are, again, all the things that you should begin to see and flow. Now, what's the crazy part about all of this is that eventually, Matthew 24, 29, Satan is kicked out of heaven. Kevin, there's another way that this is described. Do you remember how Jesus described that? Uh, it's the stars and the celestial beings being thrown to the earth. So Satan is kicked down, Kevin, and he's here to bring all hell on earth. 
He has, Scripture says, a very, very limited time, and he's going to bring as much wrath. Now, not God's wrath, Satan's wrath. And he's going to unleash Satan's uh, wrath. Matthew 24, 29. This is also in reference to the sixth seal. You remember when people are starting to be, Kevin, right? We've talked about this, the martyrdom, people that are dying. So remember, we're tying Matthew 24 to Revelation 6. First six seals that we'll begin to talk through. Now, when you get into this, number eight, do you remember what we talked about? I think this was actually last week. There was a pause between the sixth and seventh seal in Revelation. Why is there a pause? Before Kevin, what? God brings his wrath. wrath. He's going to put a seal on 144,000 Jewish evangelism uh, evangelists that are virgins. They're pure. Okay? So he's going to seal them in this pause. Hang on. Don't do anything. I got to seal my evangelists. Why? Because these 144,000 will be here during God's wrath. They are not the people. Okay? These 144,000. I, I can make a joke about it because... People teach this today. The 144,000 are not people that are walking around in holy underwear here on earth today. That's a theology that's actually taught here in America. They're not, uh, they're not these people. The 144,000 are Jews that are evangelists that are virgins. So in between the sixth seal and the seventh seal, you have a pause. Now, last week, we got into the stuff that everybody thought we were going to talk about in the end times. Do you remember this? We started talking about the R words. Now, first we talked about the resurrection of the dead. Do you remember in the context of the scriptures, before the rapture happens, those that have died before us, those that are asleep, they come back to life first. And so we could actually watch, this sounds so gruesome and weird, but I think it's going to be beautiful. We get to watch our grandparents say, who knew Christ? They're going to come up and you're going to see them come from the ground, go up and meet Christ. Isn't that crazy? You know, it is amazing. Thank you for clarifying that. So, all right. So in that, you're going to have the resurrection. But remember that resurrection is not of Christ. It's the resurrection of the dead. Okay. You guys are getting it. This is what's cool. Now, I will tell you this, this, these controversial points, quote unquote, everybody has a difference of opinion on when it takes place. Fine. This is not worth dividing a church over. This is not worth creating a new denomination. This is still the time that we need to stay unified. When the resurrection of the dead takes place, so does the rapture. Now, somebody could say, hey, hang on here. If I look at your timeline, this timeline looks like it's after the tribulation. What we communicated last year based on multiple verses is that was a perspective that we taught on. Am I hung up on that? You know what? Here's the deal. Remember, we, we concluded last week. You should have the mentality that I'm going to have to go through persecution here on earth or whether it's in tribulation. Because either way, Christ says in Matthew 5, that's how we're supposed to live. Right. So either way, it's a win. If you're getting ready for it here or getting ready for it now, uh, then, either way, it's going to happen. If you're really walking with Jesus and following Christ, you will see persecution. He says all these things are going to come against you, just like we're living for him, like we're living like him. So again, this rapture. Now, this is when we get a transition. And this is where, to me, all right, picture this. Everybody's hanging out in the clouds. Kevin, can there be Jewish people hanging out with Jesus? Yes. Those that know Jesus, those that believe in Yeshua, those that believe in the Messiah, Jews or Gentiles, in that context, there is no distinction. If you know and believe in Christ, there's no distinction. That's what we're talking about. So they're meeting him up in the sky. Now, what do you do? 
up in the sky? <laughs> Sounds like a weird question, right? But here's what I want to say is at that point, when you're hanging out in the sky, at some point, you are going to experience the judgment or what we call the bima. It's the Greek word, by the way, the judgment seat of Christ. As this is taking place, Kevin, if you'll go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, while the judgment seat of Christ is taking place, I believe, and again, I can't say 100% dogmatic, but I can believe based on scripture, this is a good thought. It says this, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe while this is taking place, God's going to release his wrath on earth. Okay. While this is taking place, while 2 Corinthians 5.10, this is our theme verse, while, while 2 Corinthians 5.10 is taking place, okay, if you'll go there, uh, it says this in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear, all of us, before the tribunal of Christ, so that each may be repaid what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. So while we, I'm going to make it so plain. While I, yesterday, on a Wednesday, I'm going to be judged, what did I do with what I've been given on that day? Did I make something for the Lord, not based on salvation, it's not works-based at all, but I'm going to be evaluated, hey, Kyle's been given gifts, Kyle's been given talents, did he do anything with them? And if he did, did he do it in the flesh, or did he do it in the spirit? That's the kind of imagery that we're talking about. This is the judgment that we're talking about. As this judgment takes place, the wrath of God, which we'll talk about next week, the seventh seal, once it's taken off, then you get into the trumpets, then you get into the bowls, that's God's wrath. Also, a good way of looking at this is, this launches into a wedding banquet. There's a consummation that takes place with the rapture in the judgment seat is that we get to be wed, yes, I already know we are, but we get to be wed with him up in the sky, right? Does that make sense? And how Jewish weddings work, once there's a consummation, then they have the festival, then they have the feast. So when we're meeting up, he says, okay, this is how I'm evaluating, I'm judging you, now you can enjoy the, the party. And some people will enjoy the party more. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Kevin, anything you want to clear up? Ray usually jumps in and says, hey, that's wrong. Going pretty good. Oh, well, I passed the Kevin test. You know, we did this for two years without Ray, by the way. We did what's called Revive School, and Kevin is known as the Kev. And lately, he's got a new title. Did you know this? They call him Dr. Kevin now. And so Kevin has received an honorary doctorate from we don't know who or we don't know where. But the Kev is now known as Dr. Kevin. So anyway, okay. So hopefully you begin to understand. Today is one point. Think about this. The last couple lessons, this is what we've talked about. 24, 25, and 26. Now in one lesson, we're going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ. I think there's so much here. It should drive us. It should motivate us to number our days. And we are asking for the remnant across the world to embrace what they've been given. I see my friend here, Apostle Paul. I see him on, on Cameroon. I see our friends from uh, Botswana. I see our friends here in America. Like this doesn't apply to, to uh, uh, America. This applies across the board. We will be based, our, judge, our judgment will be based on what we have been entrusted with and what have we done. This is a backdrop in Revelation 5.10. Okay, Revelation 5.10 in this thousand year period, okay? I just want to make sure everybody's on the same page. Revelation 5, verse 10, right? 
He says, you made them a kingdom. Really, you can even go into verse 9, but you don't have to. You made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and what will they do? They will what? Reign on the earth. The same language in the millennium is that you and I get a rule with him is in Revelation 20. Kevin, if you'll go there, Revelation 20, 4, 5, and 6. You're going to get a fire hose today, by the way. It's just going to keep coming, okay? Revelation 20, 4, 5, and 6. What do you see here? Uh, Kevin, people are congratulating you, by the way, online for your doctorate. So I just want to let you know, congratulations. So I love that. So Revelation 20, verse 4, then I saw thrones, and look at this, and people seated on them who were given what? Authority to judge. In the millennial, we will rule and reign and have the authority to judge based on what we have done here in Texas, based on what you've done in Ohio based on what you've done in Minnesota, based on what you've done in Africa, based on what you've done, yes, in Cameroon, like based on what we've done, he says, oh, I'll give you more. Kevin, would you go to Luke 14? Luke 14, verses 12, 13, and 14. Luke 14, 12, 13, 14. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give them a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends because your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind. Most of us actually know that language, but what most don't do is talk about verse 14. You will be blessed because they can't repay you. Nobody can repay you from the homeless. For you will be what? Repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the judgment seat of Christ. If you hang out with the homeless, they're not going to pay you back. If you hang out with some of the down and outers, they're not going to pay you back. But Christ sees your faithful work. And it says you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. To me, that's everything about why you number your days. I want to embrace a thousand years, and Lord, I want to experience everything you have for me. Same context, not only just in Luke 14, but if you go to uh, one more time, I want to read 2 Corinthians. I haven't read this one, actually. Uh, yeah, Kevin, go to 2 Corinthians 5.10. We have, but I want to point out something. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Okay, uh, this is our, our theme verse, but watch this. We all must appear before the tribunal of Christ. So what? That each may be repaid for what he has done in the body. Now, I like this, whether good or worthless. Whether it's in flesh or in the spirit, you're still going to be judged. You're going to be repaid. This is a very practical way to look at life. Over and over do you see this. Now, in Revelation 11, verse 18. Revelation 11, verse 18. Same language, you guys. It is unbelievable to me when you see the bigger picture, how this all fits. Revelation 18, it says, The nations were angry, but your wrath has come. We talked about this. The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give the reward to your servants, to prophets, to the saints, and to those who fear your name, both small and great, and the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. Look at that. As God pours out his wrath, he rewards, Kevin, can you just back up just so I can see that? He then rewards, look at the language that he says, to the saints, he rewards uh, the prophets, he rewards those who fear his name, both small and great. It doesn't matter if you have a platform name. It doesn't matter if anybody doesn't see anything that you've ever done in your life. He sees it all. And he's going to reward and repay you while he brings the wrath on everybody else. Now, we're not delighting in the wrath. I just want you to delight in this process. 
So you have Revelation 11:18 as a reference. Go to Revelation 22:12. This is one maybe more that's a little bit more well known. Revelation 22 verse 12. Here's what this text says. Again, John is interpreting what he's seen and what he's heard. Look, I'm coming quickly. So Jesus is coming, right? At like a thief in the night. He's coming and my reward is with me. Look at this to repay each person according to what he has done. This has nothing to do with salvation, everything to do with what you've been entrusted with. He must have a big back pocket. I mean, you think about it. How is he going to do this? How is he going to, okay, here we go. I'm going to give it to Lee. I'm going to give it to Jen. I'm going to give it to Cyrus. Hey, I got some for Kevin and for Shelly and for Nikki. I got all my, I'm bringing all of it based on what you've done here. This is how it really begins to make sense. 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, Kevin, if you would go to verse 11, uh, 12, 13, and we're going to go to 16. Revelation, I'm sorry, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 16. This is the imagery. This will now make sense to you guys. I think people get caught up on this all the time about the salvation stuff. For no one, this is the Apostle Paul writing, nobody can, say, can, nobody can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. I'll give you an example. The Apostle Paul. Okay? When he came, comes into a community, he, he laid the foundation for Asia Minor. He laid the foundation for Macedonia. He laid the foundation for Greece. Who came in after Paul? Timothy. So Apostle Paul laid the foundation. Timothy then comes and builds on what Apostle Paul has done. This is that language. That foundation is Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 3.11. If anybody builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anybody's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved. Yet it will be like an escape through a fire. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary and that the Spirit of God lives in you. If you understand the tribunal seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat of Christ, where you are placed on this and he's going to judge you, this all makes sense now. I just want to break down just a, a little bit if I can. Kevin, can you go back to verse 12 if you don't mind? You know this, building, uh, building on a foundation, what does it say with... Uh, Kevin, can you go back to... Uh, Verse 12 for me, thanks. If anybody builds on that foundation with what? Gold, silver, or costly stones. If you have this imagery, and I, John MacArthur out of California, he says, if you are, uh, um, how do I put this one here? This is quality materials here. If you're investing with quality materials, you will have a dedicated spiritual service, according to MacArthur, and I believe that. Now, if you have these wood, hay, or straw, MacArthur says you have inferior materials that imply shallow activity with no eternal value. In other words, you have these, these things that are invested that will last, and you have this fleshly things, this wood, this hay, this, this stubble, it just disappears. I'll never forget, I was in Indiana, we did Revive Indiana, and there's a group of people that were so intentional about saying, hey, what Revive Indiana is, it won't last. And I'll never forget, they kept saying to me, if this is of God, it will last. If it's of man, it won't. I think it's actually a valid point. Their point was, is they wanted to be wood, hay, and straw. 
The reality is what's happened in Indiana, it's gone now to 52 nations. That is gold, silver, and costly stones. That's not wood, hay, and straw. And to me, that's where I want to just say, this is of the Lord. You don't have to prove yourself if there's depth and longevity. But what happens is I believe when you function in the flesh, hear this one, you're always trying to prove it's of God. You don't have to prove anything if the Lord breathes on this thing. You don't have to announce it. You don't have to promote it. God just says, that's mine. Those are the kind of things that last and there's depth and it's not shallow and it will not burn out. In fact, if you go to verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13, it says, each one's work, look at this, will become obvious. Because when the day discloses it, it will be revealed by fire. This is not damnation hellfire. This is the fire that God says, I want to show you if it's mine or if it's not. Kevin, if you would, would you go to Job 23, verse 10? Job 23, verse 10 talks about this fire, this testing, this language. Yet he knows the way I have taken. When he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. The work that I have poured into, if it's of God, he becomes, we become pure gold. There's purity in this. There's a richness to this. It's not fleeting. It doesn't just go away. There are times that Laura and I have conversations at night. I actually think there's times that our team just keeps thinking this. We can't believe we're still here. I'm serious because if this is of flesh, this stuff doesn't last. But if God breathes on this, he says, if I'm going to test you, man, this works. There's some other language of this, this language in Zechariah 13.9. Lee, we, we've talked about this many times. Zechariah 3.19, 9 I'm sorry. Zechariah 13.9 says, I will put this third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people and they will say, Yahweh is our God. When there's a time of testing, does it stick or does it burn away? The challenge for you and I is to go to the Lord and allow that testing, allow that refinement, so it does last. Welcome it. Don't avoid it. Welcome the testing. Don't avoid it. Can you go to verse 14? Uh, Follow me back, Kevin, if you don't mind. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 14, it just says, If anybody's work that, he, that has, he has built survives, he will receive a reward. Uh, we're going to talk about five crowns. Five crowns. In Revelation 3, verse 11. Revelation 3, verse 11. If you'll pull that up for me, Kevin, that would be great. Revelation 3, verse 11 says, I'm coming quickly, by the way, Jesus. Hold on to what you have. You know what that is? Hold on to your reward that I've given to you. Don't let it burn away. Don't give up. Hang in there. Endure. Persevere. Hold on so that no one takes your crown. So Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. I need you to suck it up. Trust me and let's go. But he says this crown. What what is this crown language? There's actually in scripture, most people would say there's five crowns that you or I could receive as a reward. Okay, now the very first crown is the crown of righteousness. It comes from 2 Timothy 
4. I'm going to say 7 and 8. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, okay? So 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Verse 7, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is reserved for me, I'm in verse 8, for me in the future, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, isn't that already an interesting language, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but those all those who have loved his appearing. Everybody, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you receive this crown. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about this crown. Everybody gets to receive the crown of righteousness. It's a beautiful picture. But think about this. If that's the imagery, do you see what it says? We should all be waiting for his appearing. We've got a crown of righteousness waiting. So for us, why do we want this crown? Why do we want him to come back? Because we want that crown. All of us get this crown of righteousness. Now, Rich and I, just so you know, this righteousness only comes by faith. You don't earn this crown. I know you're like, hey, look, I thought the judgment seat was going to bring all of these things and you got to earn it. There are some rewards that he just says, yes. That yes is one of these crowns. You are justified by faith. Our hope in Galatians 5, 5, our hope of righteousness is by faith. In Philippians 3, verse 9, he, uh, Christ is our righteousness, not us. Okay, so in Philippians 3, 9, I'll read it. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So, Everybody gets to go hang out at the Bema seat and everybody can say, we're going to get the crown of righteousness. That is crown one. Okay. Let's go to crown number two. If we can, <laughs> I feel like I'm saying like door number. Uh, <laughs> let's go to the, the, the second crown, right? It's the crown of rejoicing. Okay. The crown of rejoicing is found in first Thessalonians two, 19 through 20. First Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20, it says this, for who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting, crown of rejoicing? That's what that is right there. In the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming, is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Basically, you have to think like this, this mentality, is that we get to rejoice when we are in his presence. I don't know how else to describe that. Like we get to rejoice. And so we are all going to be given a second crown, the crown of rejoicing. And this crown then represents this Revelation 21.4. There's going to be no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow for us, by the way. For us, there's none of that we get to experience. We get to experience the crown of rejoicing. So you got a crown of what? What's the first one? Crown of righteousness. And you get a second crown, a crown of rejoicing. Think about it this way. In Luke 15, verse 7, you know when people come to know Christ, when they say yes to Christ? In Luke 15, verse 7, it says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 people who don't need repentance. There is a spirit of rejoicing that's constantly going on in heaven. And so you have a crown of righteousness and you have a crown of rejoicing. This all takes place at the judgment seat, the Bema seat of Christ. I think these two here are, are pretty straightforward, but the other three kind of get fun, okay? Because not everybody gets these crowns. 
Okay, the third crown you see is the incorruptible crown. Can you go to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27? 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. So it says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everybody who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away, but we a crown that will never fade away. Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. From my interpretation in studying this text, in regards to the incorruptible crown, I actually believe, and I like this, uh, there's a guy named Joshua Mangudi, okay? Joshua Mangudi, he defines this crown as this. It's a crown for people who, listen to this, who brought their body into subjection and disciplined their body and used self-control. I'm sure you could fill in the blank. I'm sure there are multiple things, but I think this is one of those crowns that this word temperate means self-control. It's kind of an interesting one, isn't it? But I want to be one that is self-disciplined with my body, and I want to represent King Jesus. I don't know how that works, and I don't know if I'm going to get it, but I'm sure going to fight the fight, run the race until I say, hey, I did everything I could do. Not for salvation. We're just talking about rewards. We're just talking about rewards. And if he sees that, if he sees me, I hope I get this crown. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I'm just telling you these are the rewards, okay? Now, let's keep going here to number four. He's coming quickly. Revelation 22 says he's going to repay you for the things that you've done. One of them is the crown of life. If you would, go to James 1 verse 12. Okay, James 1 verse 12. And in James 1 verse 12, it says, a man who endures trials is blessed. Because when he passes that test, there's that language again, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. One other text is Revelation 2, verse 12. Revelation 2, verse 12. Uh, I wrote 10. Revelation 2, verse... It is 10. I wrote it and said it wrong. Thanks, Kevin. Revelation 2.10, and it says, uh, Revelation 2.10, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you have affliction for 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. So how would you define the crown of life? I like this, what Joshua Mangudi, here's how he defines the crown of life. He says, for people who have patiently endured trials, testing, and persecution. It is for people who bravely uh, um, combat persecution, who bravely take on persecution for Christ, even until the point of death. So when you go through a hard time, and I'm not just talking about maybe not paying a bill, I'm talking about because you said something about Christ, somebody hits you. Somebody beat you. Somebody kicked you out. I talked to somebody yesterday, you guys, from here in America, but his family's from another country. And in 2002, that country was truly shut down to the church. 2002, if you were a Christian, you're either imprisoned or killed. 
Do you bail and say, no, Jesus, or do you say, yes, get on your knees and say, God, I want more? Because according to that mentality, you get the crown of life. So when we talk about the rapture and we talk about, hey, I'm out of here, like it might mean maybe if you are here, this is what keeps you going. Can you imagine Christ saying, yeah, here's the crown of life. Thank you. You represented me well. These are rewards. These are not salvation issues. These are rewards. Finally, last and fifth crown, by the way. This is a really, uh, I, when I started studying this, I was really blown away by this. 1 Peter 5, 1 Peter 5, verses 2 through 4. It says in 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4, he says, Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but freely. According to God's will, not for the money, but eagerly. Can I, can I just sit on that for a second? This is where I think we get in trouble. I think people do ministry for the wrong reasons sometimes. At least for the last 15 years as I've traveled, at least in our country, you can tell when money motivates people or when it's the Lord's will. And he says, you better be careful not to do that. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now watch this. And when the shepherd, chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This would be the fifth crown that we at least see in scripture. There could be more. Please don't hear me say this is it. But here you have this crown of glory. I love what uh, Joshua Mangudi says. He says, for any person, watch this, who feeds the flock, could be a pastor, could be apostles, could be a prophets, could be evangelists, could be teachers. It could be moms who disciple their kids all of their life. But you don't oversee that, or you don't overlook it, you pour into them. If you are having this mentality of feeding the flock that even involves a great commission, not just going, but what? Making disciples. When you have this mentality, I believe you will get the crown of glory. And I want that one. I don't want to be the guy who's just saying, everybody come to know Jesus and then I'm on to the next. Now, is there seasons for seed? Yes. But I think he evaluates our heart and what we do. This is not for show. This is not for money. This is for rewards. <laughs> Laura always says, sometimes don't, don't say those things that you know are in your head and you shouldn't say. I'm going to right now because she's not here. You know where we got the ultimate rewards programs from. Whether it's Ace Rewards, Sam's Club's Rewards. It's an eternal model, by the way. If you're a part of the Kingdom Club, I will give you rewards. And I at least have five of them that you could get. It sounds super cheesy, but it's totally legit. All of us want to say, hey, do I have any rewards? Look at my Starbucks. Or, hey, look, look at my... When you get to the judgment seat, Christ is going to say, let me show you what you have. Man, what an awesome picture. So when you look at all this, here's kind of how I want to, I want to close a, a couple different ways. But Kevin, if you would, would you go to Matthew 25? You guys know this image, and I'm, I, you're not going to go there, Kevin, on this, but Matthew 22, you've got this banquet image. Matthew 25, you have the 10 virgins image, right? 
you know this is all talking about this. And in Matthew 25, and it says 14 through 30, but Kevin, would you specifically go to verse 21? Matthew 25, and I think this is really, remember at the very beginning of our lesson, we talked about the saints ruling and reigning. Do you remember that? Do you remember how we talked about this imagery of that you are, you're, you're able to judge now? I think Matthew 25 shows us how this unfolds. In Matthew 25, verse 21, remember his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Well, what is that context? Kevin, could you, are you able to back up on that in Matthew 25? It's the man who received five talents. And he presented five more talents. And so because of what he used, what he had been given here on earth, the gift of servants, the gift of giving, the gift of hospitality, the gift of leadership, the wisdom, we're expressing these gifts that it talks about in 1 Corinthians 12. As we're talking about these gifts, even in Romans or 1 Corinthians 14, when we're expressing these gifts and you use them, God says, I'll give you more. And oh, by the way, in the millennium, I'm now going to entrust you because I know I can trust you on earth. I'm sure I can trust you here. That's what should drive you every day. God, am I using this gift of going and talking to people about Jesus? Well, Kyle, why would I tell you this? Why would I give you more than a thousand years if you just walked past people? You didn't even engage them. Why would you be entrusted with more if you didn't even take care of your own kids? You got a company of lots of employees and you just blow them off. You want to run and rule and reign in, in the millennium? In Matthew 25, uh, Kevin, if you would, would you go to uh, specifically verse 23? Uh, back up to 22. I'm oh, sorry. Remember this, the guy who has two talents. First guy had five. Second guy had two talents. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned two more. In other words, I've done what I can with these gifts. And his master said, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Kevin, can you go back to 21 for a second? Do you see this? I'll put you in charge of many things. If you have five talents and you double them, or if you have two talents and you double them, it's the same language. He just wants to know, will you use what I've given you? This is a weird story, and I'm, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit on this one. My grandfather was a preacher. And I actually believe my grandfather... Um, I believe that he knew the Lord and I knew Christ. And I believe he declared the word, but my grandfather had an affair. And I never heard my grandfather repent from that. I believe my grandfather's in heaven. I believe he knew Jesus. I believe he's probably why the way I'm wired. but I don't know if he got all of the, the rewards that he was supposed to get. Like, that's how real this is. I don't believe he lost his salvation, but I believe he lost the rewards. Can God redeem those people? Absolutely. But it still doesn't mean he didn't get that reward. He can take it away because maybe he didn't control his body. Like, this is what I'm talking about. This is how real it is. And that's not something, and by the way, the Lord told me to go to my grandfather's church where it took place in Ohio. And I repented on behalf of my family, on my knees. It was one of the weirdest times. 
Because I don't want that to carry over in anything of my family. Because I want myself and my kids and my wife, I want all of us to embrace the rewards, and it's got to stop. Don't use this as a crutch. Well, it's a generational thing. Man, through Christ, anything can stop. And so I think for me, this is the image that we're talking about. And finally, one more verse, if you can. Matthew 25, Kevin, if you would, verse 26. Do you remember the guy that had one talent? Verse, he said he had one talent and he was so scared. Matthew 25, sorry, Kevin, I keep doing this. Can you just back up? He was so afraid he hit his talent and he said, look, I have what's yours. I've got the one talent. I didn't do anything with it because I'm, I'm saving it. I remember John Maisel. John Maisel is such an incredible man of God, and you and I both know him. He founded East West Ministries, and Maisel always said to me, he said, I can't ever understand why people just store up all their money in hopes that it'll be used for something else. I'm not calling out people who hear me, don't hear me say this. The implication is, if you think it's always safe, you're wrong. And he says, you evil, lazy slave, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And when I returned, I would have received my money back with interest. So what did he do? He took that talent and he gave it to somebody else. They got to experience the blessing. And I believe that happens all the time. I believe God entrusts others because others don't want it. It's my story of my, my professor, Tim Buchner. Uh, at Gordon-Conwell. One day he heard the Lord tell him very clearly, go in and share the gospel uh, at the gas station counter. It was raining. He didn't get his receipt. He ignored everything that God said, go in. And he comes into the counter. This actually happened in Goshen. He's not even from there. He goes into Goshen, Indiana, and he looks at the guy that he's supposed to share the gospel. He goes, I'm not sharing the gospel with him. And he walks away, and the guy behind him, this big trucker dude, goes, hey! Slams down his hand. You need to know Jesus! If you don't want to be used, God will find somebody else. And I think, how do you prepare? How do you and I prepare for the judgment seat of Christ? How do you do that? I've got three simple points. Three simple points. They're super simple. 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5 is going to start in verse 11. This comes from Warren Wearsby. We used to talk about Warren, a great commentator, great pastor, great teacher. And he says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord... We seek to persuade people. We are completely open before God. And I hope we are completely open to your consciences as well. When you prepare for the judgment seat of Christ, you have to maintain a clear conscience. Okay? Number one is you've got to maintain a clear conscience. Okay? In other words, you can't have baggage hanging over you. Maintain a clear conscience. You got to be free to run and go talk to as many people, love on people as much. You can't carry this weight. 2 Corinthians 5, 12, it says this. This is your second point. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in the outward appearance rather than in the heart. You must not depend upon praise of man. Must not depend upon praise of man. This is in preparation for the return or for the judgment seat of Christ. You can't live in these places. Free yourself from a conscience and you can't depend upon the praise of man. And then finally in 2 Corinthians 5, 13, for if we are out of our mind, it is for God. Did you hear that? If we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we have a sound mind, it's for you. What I love about this one is, is you have to ignore 
the criticisms of man. If you want to get ready for the judgment seat of Christ, you cannot live on if they criticize you or if they praise you. You must be out of your mind. That's how we have to live for the judgment seat of Christ.